Hi, listeners. This is Rick Witted, host of the podcast show On Your Way to Work. Wanted to take a quick moment before today's episode and thank the staff here at On Your Way to Work, Christian and Sharvin, who have both been making this show a success in 2014, and who also gave us the top 15 episodes countdown for the month of December, uh, which gave me plenty of needed time to finish my manuscript uh, and get it into my publishers over at Revell. Uh, so look forward in 2016, outgrowing your space, how to thrive at work and build a lasting career. Stay tuned for today's episode. Have you ever thought about the lessons learned from those who transition from the workplace into creating their own space? And then the lessons from those who transition from creating their own space. Maybe they even failed at some business ventures uh, and then those lessons that they brought back when they re-entered the workplace. Today, our guest, Ted Kim's going to share some of those with me in a conversation. Have a great, great learning adventure today. Thanks. Now, you might not believe this, but the career path of almost every super successful individual included having a job just like the one you have now. You're either going to or coming from work, so we might as well talk about it today on Your Way to Work. And now, your host, Ricardo Witte. Hi, everybody. This is Rick Witted. Welcome to On Your Way to Work. Uh, it is 2015, and I'm very, very excited to be back. I know I was out for the month, and the team here at On Your Way to Work was uh, holding down the show, giving you the top 15 countdown of the year. So it'd be tough to start this year without saying thank you to our listeners. And I am excited today. I have got uh, someone who is a dear friend of mine for quite a few years now, Ted Kim. So, hey, Ted, welcome to the show. It's good to be on the show. It's good. Good to have you. Good to have you. So, listeners, I've known Ted for, gosh, Ted, how many years now? It's got to be near 10 years. Pretty close to Um, it. I'd say it's... uh so it's eight years. Eight years. Eight years. F- feels like 20. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, I can tell you that we worked together for many years, and I've always said to him and to everyone else, uh, he is probably one of the smartest people I know. I've learned a ton about watching uh, someone figure out processes and become a master at the basics of doing a job. Uh, And Ted has done that real well. Ted is someone who has grown up around the world, uh, lived in Korea, 
New York, Miami, Mexico, and started his his career actually in ministry uh, for about the first nine years uh, before he transitioned uh, into the business world. Spent another nine years in uh, the banking and finance sector. Uh, started a business in the technology industry uh, with a a group uh, a couple years ago and. Uh, recently has made the venture back into corporate America. So uh, there's a lot that uh, I tell you this guy can can teach you. I'm going to have to get him back on the show in the future uh, when I've got the green light to start talking about some specific chapters in the book. But Ted, I really wanted my listeners to to hear from you on you know some of the things that you've learned transitioning from corporate America to the world of entrepreneur and then you know now kind of back into corporate America and I think it would be great for the listeners to hear that journey and uh, b- before we go there I'd love to just share a little bit about your background in terms of your career it's a it's a unique career um, path that you've taken. But why don't you share a little bit about, you know, the decisions you made and, and the paths you've chosen. So, you know, out of college, um, you know, I was very involved in ministry at the local church. Um, a lot of it was because uh, in the Korean community, there weren't that many English-speaking church members. A lot of them were first generations. They couldn't speak the language well. Their kids, of course, uh, you know, growing up in the States, most of them didn't understand a lick of Korean. So it was really hard for the parents to pass on their faith. And uh, simply because I was bilingual, I got kind of pushed into, you know, uh, teaching and taking, you know, leadership, you know, for the youth group and, you know, things like that. And uh, learned how to become a, a storyteller. And um, people started saying that, you know, I should pursue, you know, Korean ministry. So I very reluctantly applied and somehow got accepted to seminary. You know, came down to Dallas, worked as a youth pastor for many years. And after about you know, eight, nine years, um, you know, due to like family issues and uh, I think also work-life balance and many other things, uh, I decided to take some time off. So, you know, I think there are some lessons there, Ted, and if we could camp out for a minute, I'd appreciate it. Sure. You made a big change, you know, and for reasons that, you know, you got to provide, you got to eat, your family has to eat, your wife is also starting, you know, a practice. And so for income stability reasons, you decide, hey, I'm going to transition from the life, the career of ministry into corporate America. What are a couple of things during that transition that you found helpful? Um, were, were there specific things that you learned in nine years of full-time ministry career that were applicable? It's not just about your product. It's about knowing your audience. So as a, you know, as someone who's, you know, had to communi- be a communicator for both from children to youth um, to you know adults uh, to senior citizens, um, you have to shape your message according to who your audience is. You have to know where they're at, 
I think in the financial industry, you really need to understand who your client is, you know, where they are. So let me put it this way. The best, the way to understand the best servant is a a servant who can do the most. A servant who really can't do anything, you know, they may be a servant because they have no other choice, but they can't really serve effectively, right? And if I'm trying to help somebody, if I have to spend time listening to them and befriending them and being their buddy, you know, that's all nice and good. But if I don't have the expertise and I know my role and my job and my product and my industry better than other people, I can't help that person. I can't be a servant to that person, you know, the way uh, that I could, you know? Gotcha. It will always be other people. So it really comes down to, you know, how can I best serve my clients? Well, that's when I know my product, my services. That's when I'm the sharpest, you know, at what I do, you know? Um, and I think when you start doing that, instead of worrying about finding customers, customers come to you. So I love the phrase you said, the best worker is the server who can do the most. I love that. And if I get where you're coming from here, I heard two things. I heard one, you've got to understand the customer. You cannot serve the client if you don't understand the clients. And then I heard, know your role better than anyone else. Know your trade, know your craft better than anyone else. And when you know those two things, then it kind of gets back to this idea of yours that you can really become a servant to your clients. And when you serve your clients, you can be more successful. So if, if, if I heard those things correctly to that, to that person who's asking, hey, how do I stand out on my job? Ted is saying, become a servant of your client, observe, master your customer and know your products inside out so that you can become an educator. In a sense, a servant or, you know, hey, you can proclaim the, I think you said it, the gospel of whatever your product is. It's a very interesting way of looking at that. What what I like about that more than anything is that those are the types of things that compel people. People really could care less what you know until they know you care. So let me fast forward a little bit And when you think about transitioning out of corporate world to start a business in the technology uh, sector, talk about that experience a little bit. What were some of the the learnings, the pitfalls, you know, if I if I've got someone listening right now and they're saying, hey, Rick, I am thinking about leaving a corporate world and starting my own business. Share the two or three things that you've learned quickly. Well, I think, first of all, you have to love what you're about to do. You you have to be crazy about it. And that's one thing I didn't have a problem with. I felt that this was an opportunity to really do some good. And I felt that it would be something where all my values, my spiritual values, you know, my career goals, all those things were aligned. There were so many values that I felt uh, that this business you know, would bring to the world. Okay. So it was something that, you know, I, I was kind of crazy about, you know. I, I really loved the idea. 
of the business. And I think that, you know, in order to do anything, you have to really love the, the idea, first of all, gotcha. know, of what that business can do. I think it has to be more than just about money. At least for me, it was more than just about money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, one thing I also learned is that if you're going to be changing industry, you've got to be careful. And going from the you know, financial industry, going into a technology-based industry, it's something that, again, you know, I knew very little about. I don't have an engineering background. I don't know anything about electricity or about you know, chemistry or things that I needed to know about in my industry. And I did have some partners. But I think you should always tread very carefully, you know, if you are going to be changing the area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And I think because of somewhat, you know, of my success that I had in corporate America, um, I may have lacked some of the humility. Yeah. Maybe this is something that I should think twice about. Gotcha. But I love the, I love the concept. You know, I just fell in love with it and I really didn't care. And uh, since I've never been afraid of learning new things, um, I took on a challenge you know, with uh, a lot of enthusiasm. Number two, I would say, is that when you're transitioning, you know, maybe this is point number three, but is that uh, in corporate America, you have a platform, you know, whatever company you're working with, and you have the company's resources. You know, they're paying you a salary. And so when you experiment, Yes, it may be that for a time, you know, you may not you know, do as well, but as long as you're meeting your basic numbers, you know, you're going to continue on you know, with that job. In the entrepreneurial world, you're it. Yeah. There is no platform. If you create a new platform, you can create a new brand for yourself. There is no, you know, safety net, you know, of a certain you know, level of income. You know, but if you're guaranteed days or things like that are going to be coming in, I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't make it, you don't make it. You're it. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think, uh, those are things that, you know, I really knew about those things as a concept, mm-hmm. having worked with so many business owners. Um, when it became a reality, you know, yeah, you, you don't, you so don't, much more yeah, you don't know till you know, right? Had the same yeah. experience of uh, starting a business that's been more than a decade and a half ago. Same thing. I mean, I could have told you textbook, you know, everything, every right answer. I had worked with business clients for years, but when I started the business, there was just so much I didn't know. Much like you, I, I think your three three points are great. You got to have the passion. You've got to have the skill set or the expertise, and because there's no platform, you've got to have the uh, the resources because it's going to take time to build that up. But when I transitioned into a different industry from where I was, and uh, I literally went to sell to the exact same client, but the sales process wasn't the same. It wasn't as smooth. The need for the product had a very different cycle. There were so many things that I was unaware of. And at the end of the day, it just, you know, I didn't have the resources to last the length of time. And I hurried back <laughs> uh, into yeah. into my industry. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I thought I had resources to last uh, about two years. Yeah. Um, 
And um, I think it ran out of about, you know, one and a half years. That's when we could see their savings. And one part of me wishes I had had deeper pockets because I was so close to you know, getting everything wrapped up and put together and um, getting the big monster created, you know. Um, and it just seemed like just, just you know, just one, you know, arm's length away. Yeah. And just with a grasp. But uh, I felt that, you know, that's the way I probably felt for the last year. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to make this choice, you know. And I had some personal things happen that you know about that really compelled me to think about, you know, what my role is as a provider for the family. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Ted, that that uh, this is where we are in the conversation because this it's really resonating with me personally uh, from my own experience. Um, and I think you and I, uh, particularly you, coming from where where you've recently come from and now transitioning back into corporate America, and you know, I, I went through the same process, you know, over a decade ago, but. You know, I, I, I mean, I'd love your take on this. For me, when I, you know, I literally came back into an industry I had left to start my own business, and um, I had a ton of financial wounds to lick. I probably had experience, and I was a lot younger then, so I was, I was in my mid twenties, late twenties. So I was still, still very young. I'm still young, by the way, now, listeners, but I was, <laughs> I, was I was really, really young then. And, and uh, you know what? What I found, uh, Ted, was when I re-entered the, um, the workforce um, as an employee versus being an entrepreneur, um, a couple things happened. One, I became a much better employee. Uh, because you don't have those platforms and the resources and the brand um, that you have working for someone else when you work for yourself, you appreciate it when you come back. And I found myself really embracing right. that that there was platform for me to build and grow on. I also right. I also found that I could be extremely entrepreneurial where I was. Uh, and so I, I didn't have to start my own business to be an entrepreneur. And what's, what's really interesting is, you know, being a manager now, uh, bosses, managers, supervisors are always looking for people who can kind of go beyond what is right now to improve things, um, in the workplace, to improve processes, to improve products, to improve the way we serve customers, etc. So I found um, that, you know, going into the world of entrepreneur and coming back uh, from uh, into the corporate environment or, or, you know, working for someone else, that it was very helpful. I think the biggest lesson that I learned above all was humility. Uh, and, pr and prior to that, I had never lost. I mean, I just never lost in anything. It always won. And here I was now, business failure. I mean, I was bankrupt, busted, disgusted, broke. You know, w we were young. We didn't have a lot of money. We had three kids. They were all babies, uh, pretty much. And so it was it was very humbling for me to have to come back and, and, and ask for my job. And But, man, what, you know, just... Having that humility 
it allowed me in a much different way than prior to that experience. It really allowed me to touch the heart of anybody that I interacted with. I became a better coworker. I became a better employee. Eventually, I became a better manager. Just going through that experience gave me a sense of, I want to say humility, but I really feel like saying humanness. It gave me a sense of human connection that I hadn't had before. And, you know, so I I think this is a very specific slither of people, a slice of people that may be listening to the show now that, hey, they they did go into uh, the world of entrepreneur you know, and didn't have the success that they thought they would have had initially. Now they're back um, in uh, in the workplace, and those are some things that I learned and that that I took away. You know, I'd be very interested in hearing some of the things that you may have from a similar experience, probably not as dramatic as mine, but a similar experience. You know, what things are you taking back? into the workforce? What are going to be some due difference for you? Yeah. Well, you know, before I get into that, I think, you know, what you just mentioned about the humility, um, you know, if you look at the scriptures, I'm not sure if it's okay to talk about the scriptures. Go for it. Go for it, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, in the Hebrew, there's uh, six different words that are used for for man, okay? Okay. Five man, mankind. And, um, you know, the first word is Adam, and Adam refers to, you know, not only the first male, um, but it refers to the fact that he's made from Adama, which is, you know, the earth clay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? That's where the word Adam comes from. So, it talks about the fact that it's a creational being, you know, full of creativity, but also very finite. Um, the second word for man is the word Sakar, which talks about, you know, his maleness you know, his masculinity. Um, and that's the word that God first uses when he says, God made the male and female. Mm-hmm. And that's where the word Sakar comes up. Now, for those of us who are in the corporate world, you know, who are honing our trade and trying to move up on the corporate ladder, the third word that comes up is really important is the word Gibor. And we talk about, the word Gibor means literally mighty, you know. So we talk about, you know, David and his mighty men, they would say, you know, David and his Giborim, you know, Rim in being, you know, the plural of the word. So Giborim means his mighty warriors. And so it's, it's, you know, the Gibor talks about man and his warring strength, you know, his competitive strength. And that's really important, I think, for us men to really hone our trade and to really be the best at, uh, best, you know, at whatever we can do, whether it's in the, you know, in athletics or whether it's in the sciences. Or, whether it be in the corporate world, you know, as a manager, whatever it might be. But there's always a time where there's a word that comes up next. It's the word enosh. And oftentimes the word enosh, it comes up in the context of a man who is wounded, Hmm. a man who is suffering, you know, who's been defeated in a battle, uh, a man who is depressed in that situation, who is ill, and... um, Every warrior has that period where he is going through Anoshville, you know. Many people get stuck there. They're just stuck in that woundedness. Oftentimes they're just blaming other people or they're wallowing in their own self-pity 
and they never get beyond that, you know? Uh, it's true for every stage. People always get stuck in certain phases, you know? So, like, for example, you know, if you look at America, we're so sexualized. There's so many men who are stuck at that Jakar stage, and so many men who are constantly in that divorce stage. They're, you know, all these warriors, they're always competitive, you know? That's all that they know. They're just rhinoceros, right? And then, you know, then there are those who've been wounded and, you know, they're like, you know, uh, they're in their little hole now, you know, and unwilling to come out into the light. Um, and I think, you know, we all go through that. And, you know, you talk about, you know, how you came through that. I've had several of those, you know, and um, um, it's really hard. Like, going back to corporate America, I got a call about six months ago to come back and... I I would not I couldn't make my I couldn't consider it you know yeah because for yeah. me it was too humiliating <laughs> to admit that I had failed yeah yeah been there <laughs> and I just put it off and said you know thank you but you know I believe in what I'm doing it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and uh, I said no you know um, until finally I you know I realized that it's you know the right thing to do you know as a provider for the family. But then right after the Enosh, when you get out of the Enosh, the the fifth word that comes out is the word ish, and ish is um, it oftentimes talk refers to male, a man who has learned to rule himself. It's a ruler of himself, you know, and I think one of the most difficult things to do is not mastering the universe or mastering your trade, but it's learning how to govern yourself. You know, your feelings, your, you know, your sense of self-pity, your anger, your, you know, your, your uh, sense of, you know, uh, bitterness towards others. You know, all those things, being able to master that is extremely difficult. Uh, but you can only become an ish if you've been wounded, you know. And uh, those are the people that should be the ones who are ruling. These are the kinds of people that we want as managers, you know. So, like, you know, I know that when I came over to work for you, you know, that was one of the things that I found when I saw you. I saw somebody that I could work for, you know. And I think the success that I had was because I had someone who, as a manager, you know, so, you know, let's use, you know, take that word, you know, the Hebrew concept of ruler, and let's take, apply that to the workplace, as someone who's ruling over or managing over other people, who are stewardship over people. Um, you know, there was a, a gentleness, you know, about you, you know, and so even though, you know, I had goals to meet, and, you know, sometimes I was unruly, you know, you know how you know how to speak to me. You know how to you know motivate me, um, and allow me to you know flourish in and develop you know the things I was good at. You know, at the same time, you know, addressing you know some of the things that I was not so good at. You know? <laughs> Just a few. Uh, yeah. <laughs> more more good well, than not. <laughs> but. Um, you know, I, I think that's where good managers come from. You know, whenever you're in a position of rulership, where you have, a, 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 you know, an authority over people, you know, someone who's been broken, someone who's been wounded, who understands that, makes for 
such a better, you know, manager than somebody who, who only enjoys success throughout their lives, you know? And, you know, the last word is the word, you know, uh, zakain, which is the word for, uh, gray-haired. And these are the people, like in the Old Testament, the gray-haired are the ones that people would, you know, stand up in front of. You know, whenever they entered into a room, they were highly respected in their communities. These were the elders that would sit at the city gates, and people would come to them for counsel. They were beyond ruling. They, they were now, you know, the, the people who had wisdom, you know? They were the people to whom the destinies of entire, you know, cities and towns were tied to, because it's not just about managing, but it's about being, being a seer, being able to see beyond the horizon, and seeing beyond, you know, what um, you know, uh, ordinary people can see. But, um, yeah. You know, it's it's just very interesting, and I know we're about out of time here, but this has just been fascinating. It's been fascinating to hear, you know, the mix of your career path, which is uh, has been ministry for a- almost equally as long as you've been a part of the corporate and the business community. And how you bring those two together is, I, I think, is fascinating. So, I, you know, if I just kind of go back to how you started here, and and you want to ask the question, what's the key to really standing out in your in the workplace and and being better at your job? And it's really about serving. Same same principles um, that uh, that you applied in your career in ministry and. And as you were talking through the six Hebrew words for a man, I, I found it interesting when you when you got to the one of uh, being wounded. So what's the word again? It's interesting yeah. because in the workplace, I think we often f- forget that it is still a bunch of people and and this is my my from my experience and and my my theory is there's no greater um threat to a career than offense uh and i see so many people that you know kind of run in and out of different paths um within their career because of offense and that ability you know, I, I think it's important to just realize if if you're around a bunch of humans and you're around them for an extended period of time, a they become family. B, the the ability to be wounded verbally or or mentally or emotionally in any way is very very real and very very possible. And um, so I think when you can when we can come back from you know, environments where, you know, maybe we were not successful and we're coming from great loss, that it's that ability to really begin to connect with people that, um, that lessen that, uh, that, that risk or that dynamic of injury or, or being wounded uh, in the workplace. And it's a big deal in the workplace because our careers mean a lot to us, whether we, whether we admit that or not, it, you know, every study says that, you know, I think the second most stressful source for us in America, uh, according to um, a recent survey I looked at uh, at the APA, is work. It's only second to um, to money, which I think is 69% uh, versus 65%. So, you know, it's a really, really big deal. And for me, I, you know, I think coming, I'm glad you spent so much time there. Coming back from 
uh, an entrepreneurial um, stint where I was not successful and re-entering the workplace, I was really able to use um, that humility that I gained to better connect with people. I, I, I think you're going to find the same thing, Ted. You know, uh, over the journey of the next few years, it's going to be interesting to get back, get you back on the show and talk about that in some some years to come. But it has been sure. great, great talking with you. Uh, really appreciate you, uh, Ted Kim, very dear friend of mine, smartest uh, smartest guy I know, at least intellectually. <laughs> uh, definitely smarter than me, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on again, uh, Ted, here in the future. Thank you, Rick. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. It's good to have you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. Welcome to 2015. And if you've got any questions, any comments, please send us a note. Uh, go to rawitted.com or you can go directly to uh, facebook.com uh, forward slash rawitted or at rawitted at Twitter. Leave us a note. Let us know what you like. I got big shoulders. If you didn't like something, let me know that too. Um, Anything that's going to really help us improve the show. And until next week, be blessed and we will talk to you then. Bye-bye.